0: Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Pastor Rob Harrington as he shares this week's message. All right, welcome, welcome, welcome. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ruth. That's right, you heard right. We are not in Luke. We are going to be taking a break from Luke for the summer, and we're going to be doing an eight-week series on Ruth, a story of redemption. Ruth chapter 1. Mayhem, violence, revenge, idolatry, mass genocide, kidnapping. These are just some of the words that are headlined in our news every day. It boggles the mind... The awful atrocities that humans can perform against another human being. It just boggles the mind what, one, the capability of harm that we can do to each other. The news coming from Ukraine is tragic enough, along with news that leaks out from countries that rule through intimidation, manipulation, and a cruel hard iron fist. We think of countries as North Korea, China, Iran, uh, several of the others. But it's just not nations that are guilty. And just, the week, just this week, uh, the headlines are filled with stories of mothers who strangle their children. Gangs of young people attacking the elderly. Subways filled with all sorts of raunchy activities in our schools and libraries promoting sexual immorality. So it's just not nations that are struggling with this. We're talking about every institution as well as the human heart. We definitely live in a Romans chapter 1 world where we have suppressed the truth about God, have not honored God or even given thanks thanks to him. We've exchanged the glory of God for worthless idols. We've exchanged the truth about God for a lie. We've worshipped Satan and refused to acknowledge God. In doing so, we have reaped the consequences of our depravity. If we ask the question, how did we get so far? The answer is simple, because we have denied and and diminished God in every facet of our life and society. And as we open our Bibles to the pages of the book of Ruth, we find ourselves in the promised land that has lost its way. In some ways, you may not even call it the promised land. Though much of the land and the nations have been defeated through the work of Joshua, there remains pockets of resistance and unconquered people populated by pagans who continually lead Israel to sin. However, Ruth, as we open it up, serves as a spark of light in a dark period of time that continues the redemption story that began in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. As we, take, as we take over the next eight week, weeks in the book of Ruth, I'm going to ask you to take some time to read and pray through this short book and ask for God's wisdom to sermon as we seek to understand the importance of this little book. We find in this story of redemption found in this book is profitable for telling us what is right, what is wrong, how to get right, and how to stay right. In Ruth chapter 1, you'll look at verse 1, and we're just going to look at the first part of Ruth 1. So I will get this done in eight weeks, believe me, even though we're taking just part of a verse. But in here we read, in the days when the judges ruled. In the days when the judges ruled. So, Father, with that in mind, I pray that you open our minds and hearts to this short little book. Father, many times we have not read it, or we've read it quickly. We may know some of the story, but we don't always know the importance of the story and how it fits into the whole story of the Bible, this little book, just put between uh, Judges and First Samuel. Open up our minds and hearts to the truth that even though this book is 4,000-plus years old, Father, that we can learn from her life. And Father, this is preserved for us today, for our, ed- for our edification. We thank you for this in your name. Amen. Now, as we stated earlier, we're living in turbulent times. I don't no one would disagree with that. Yet all of this is not new to our generation or even the past future generations. This is the state of the fallen world. This has been the case since Adam and Eve rebelled against their creator and chose to be their own God. That decision has plunged the whole of creation under the curse of sin and death. The author of Ruth opens up his story by placing it in the times of the judges. So as a matter of review in our study of that book last summer, we closed out the last chapter of Judges when we read a very turbulent, violent times in which humanity had no regard for God or for others. I know you're in Ruth, so you should be there on the next page or the page before that was Judges chapter 3, or Judges chapter 3. So let's go back, I'm sorry, to Judges chapter 3, verse 7. And if I have it right here, it says, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherah. So as we look at Ruth, this is the time in which everyone is doing right In their own eyes, they are the ones who are determining what is right and what is wrong. And as you see, everyone is doing what it is that they want to do. And this verse completely captures what we here at LVPC have warned regarding the importance of guarding our heart, for it is the wellspring of life. If our heart is evil, then our actions, our behaviors, our thinking will be evil. You recall that we had defined the heart as consisting of our thoughts, our emotions, and our will. In this verse, you can see where they went wrong. You see in their thoughts, they forgot the Lord. They forgot his promises. They forgot their covenants. We see their emotions, their desires was to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They had no desire to please God, even though they had made those covenants and those promises. And then we see their choices, their will. They chose to serve what they knew were false idols, false gods. This failure to guard their heart led to dire consequences that would eventually lead them to cry out, To Yahweh for deliverance time and time again however they would once again fall back into sin as we read in Judges chapter 2 looking at chapter Judges chapter 2 verse 18 whenever the Lord raised up judges for them the Lord was with that judge and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the day of the judges so we remember those from last year right Samson and Gideon and so on and so forth For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back once more and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down. They did not drop any of the practices or their stubborn ways. As we close out the pages of Judges, we can sum up the entirety of this madness with the words of Judges 21 25 here on the monitor, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. We can understand that, just as we were telling the children. You put two children in a room and take the parents away and all type of uh oversight over what's eventually gonna happen. Just throw one ball or one dowel in there, throw one cookie on the table. You'll find exactly what happens right there and then. Everyone does in the right eye. Why? Because there was no king. We focused on that last sentence during our series in Judges last summer. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This has been their mantra, as well as ours today. We want what we want. We see. We take. There is no self-control. There is no consideration for the commands of Yahweh. There is no heed for the day of judgment. We live as if one day we will not stand before God and be judged. We pointed out in our very first message of that series that the 12 tribes fell into this cycle of sin due to three things. You'll see it here on the monitor. Number one, there's a lack of godly morals. There was confusion. There was a lack of godly faithfulness in living out the promises and the covenants. And there was a lack of godly leadership to bring them Into submission, to point them to that. Hence, why we said with the children, God has given us parents to help us to do that, to learn that. And this can be said of us as well today. This lack is found in our government, in our schools, our companies, our families. Our culture today is as bad, if not worse, as in the days of the judges and even in the days of Noah. But I wanna focus on the first sentence of that verse one that allowed them to descend in this depravity and rebellion. In those days, there was no king. Four times it's recorded in Judges. Zondervan Bible Dictionary informs us that in those days, there was no real Hebrew nation as you and I think of Israel today. Israel was at best a very loose confederation of tribes around a central sanctuary, the tabernacle, the tent at Shiloh. There was no thing, boundaries that were keeping them in bounds. There was no central authority. There was no leader to guide and direct them in the covenant. After the death of Moses and then Joshua, they were left without a strong leader. They were to look to Yahweh, to lead them through the ministries of the priests, but they soon abandoned that practice. The priests and the Levites were just as corrupt as the people. It's no coincidence, as long as there was a judge, a Samson, a Gideon, a Barak, so on and so forth, one who would lead them, then they followed the Lord. But as soon as that leader died, they would fall back once again into that cycle of sin and rebellion. Daniel Block, one theologian, comments that the use of the phrase, in those days when the judge ruled, speaking there in Ruth, indicates that that pre-monarchic period before there was a king, in which there was between the death of Joshua and the crowning of Saul as the nation's first king. So with that quick review, we now come to Ruth. Why should we study now Ruth? Now, there's the question. To most people, you probably have never heard a series on Ruth unless you were Ruth. Ruth is usually uh, uh, for women, right? We think that's a women's conference. That's a Bible study. That's a small group. Men, there's not much we can learn from Ruth. It's named. It's one of the two books in the Bible that's named after a woman. However, what I'm going to share with you today that Ruth is a very important part of the story of the Bible. The book of Ruth serves as a ray of sunshine in a time of darkness. This short book provides a glimmer of hope as it introduces a young pagan non-jewish woman who will become the great grandmother of king david theologian fee and stewart writes you'll see her on the monitor that this tragic pattern in judges points to the next phase of god's great story of redemption which now will begin moving forward considerably through the stories of ruth and of her great grandson david So if judges, judges seems to be a parenthesis in that story of redemption, it shows us how bad and how evil we can get. All of a sudden, God now is kind of going back to that theme and says, I have not yet forgotten. Tony Moretta in his study guide, Ruth, the Lord provides, which we're indebted to. He says, the book of Ruth is one of the best short stories ever written. We are drawn to the characters, the grieving Naomi, the loyal roof, and the compassionate Boaz. The setting is also intriguing. It takes place during the time of the judges, and the locations include Bethlehem and Moab, Boaz's fields, a threshing floor, a gate city gate, and a bedroom. The plot involves the story of redemption, which, as we learn, is the part of the grand story of redemption. Naomi stands in the middle of the conflict of this book as a widow with no son to carry on in the family line. At the heart of the resolution is Boaz, a figure who shows a lot of similarities to David's greatest son, Jesus. He goes on to state as well the fact that it's a beautifully written love story. There are many reasons to study Ruth, and I'm going to share them with you real quickly. First, you and I need to see the larger story of God's redeeming grace in the Bible, in the story of the Bible. The book of Ruth advances the story of God's redeeming grace to Adam's fallen race. It magnifies God's Hesed, his covenantal faithfulness and his unceasing kindness. Secondly, we need a greater appreciation of God's providence. God is present in the lives of these seemingly insignificant characters displaying his meticulous providence just as he works in our own lives thirdly we need to remember that god's global mercy this gospel is not for the jews only but as we see ruth is a pagan woman uh, from a tribe called moab but for the whole world including people like ruth fourthly we need models of genuine godliness In this midst of this dark and turbulent time, Ruth inspires us to be loyal, sincere, gracious, courageous, and devoted. Boaz gives us a model of manhood, of a justice pursuing, and someone who's not passive but compassionate and not abusive. Naomi's story engenders hope in us as she goes from emptiness to fullness in this narrative. So I pray as you open this book that you'll open it with open eyes and read and pray through it as we go through it. It's very, You can read it every week, just take one chapter a day and just read through it and you will come to understand how God works even in the midst of turbulent times and works in tragedy. You see, Ruth is not just about a woman finding a husband. No, Ruth is about coming to the, about the coming Messiah. The story of Ruth covers about 11 to 12 years in the life of its characters, and it's summed up in 85 verses. We find out at the end of the book that Ruth's descendants will be the kings of Israel. This book explains the providential ancestry of David who would become such a king. Ruth is is part of the royal line that eventually leads to Jesus. Real quickly, you'll see there that family tree as, as Ruth actually comes from Lot, Abraham's uh, uh, nephew who comes from incest. Moab comes from the incest of Lot and his daughters. This is a, a, a nation that God has, has decreed some curses among them. This is Ruth comes from. But then we see, as we look at Abraham, Judah, then Perez, another character that comes with some, some taintedness to it, and who comes from then Boaz, who then marries and comes Obed, then Jesse. David. And as we know in Matthew, Ruth then also becomes in the, in the descendant or the ancestry of Jesus Christ. The Bible Project notes that Ruth shows the interplay of God's purpose and human decisions. So in this book, we are going to deal with that tension of God's providence and human responsibility. How do those two work together? Some of the themes in this book are going to be tragedy. Boldness, loyalty, generosity, as well as unfaithfulness and a lack of trust in God. Jonathan Rourke, a senior pastor here in California, he lists four reasons why you and I should read and and preach and teach through this book. Why is it important for us? Number one, it teaches us to obey God's word. It teaches us to obey God's word. As stated earlier, the children of Israel quickly abandoned the word of God once it lost its leaders. They had forgotten the warnings of Moses and Joshua to follow the commands uh, of, of God as we saw in Deuteronomy. David sings in Psalms 119, blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. He goes on to sing, my soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to what? Your word. When I am told of my ways, you answer me. Teach me your statutes. Make me understand the way of your precepts. And I will meditate on your wondrous works. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You and I need to learn how to desire God's word. How to love God's word. How to embrace it. How to read, interpret, and apply its truth. Instead, like Adam and Eve, they followed their own hearts, speaking of the people and judges. However, the Holy Spirit warns us in Proverbs 14, 12, that there is a way that seems right to a man, but the way thereof is death. Paul teaches that the word of God is profitable. It leads us to wisdom, to righteousness, and peace that comes through Christ. You and I need to understand that we need to obey the word of God. As we go into it next week, we'll see that Naomi and her family did not. They did not follow the word of God. And what we're going to see is the tragedy it leads them to. Number two, it teaches us about divine sovereignty and human responsibility, as I said earlier. It teaches us about divine sovereignty and human responsibility. This truth brings much tension. Many, many sleepless nights have been put into understanding God's providence and our responsibility. Every generation is faced with this question, trying to find that right balance between God's complete sovereignty over all of his creation and then the culpability of human choices. We're not going to solve that issue completely this morning, though we have spent much time considering this tension in our messages and our small groups, so on and so forth. But it will suffice to say today that both are true, God's sovereignty and providence and human responsibility. God is sovereign and declares all that comes to pass. There are no accidents. There are no coincidences in God's decree. That means in all things, God has declared that will what will be. Yet at the same time, we will one day have to give account to God for our choices, both in our commission of sin and our omission of sin. So in all things, one day we will stand before God. We will not have an excuse to say, well, I just did what you declared me to do. There there is a responsibility that you and I have to take. But thirdly, it teaches us to consider the poor and vulnerable. The poor and the vulnerable. Jesus informed his disciples that you always have the poor with you. This teaching, though, is not meant to desensitize us to their plight. As we go through Ruth, we're going to see that Naomi and Ruth are in a very dangerous situation, especially in that day when they have no men in their lives, no husband, no way to make a living, living off just the, the kindness of whatever family members and strangers there are. Paul writes to Galatians that he was instructed by Peter, James and John, the disciples to remember the poor. So you and I are to remember the poor in the same way, which Paul says he was eager to do. God, through the prophet Isaiah, warned, woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right that widows may be their spoil and that they may make the fatherless the prey. You and I need to re-understand re or understand and, and come to the, the place where we understand that we are to take place or take care of those that are struggling in poverty. Yes, some of it may be of their own choices, but sometimes it's also the will of God. And so you and I need to recognize that because we shall see next week that all of us could suffer seasons of poverty, seasons of sickness, seasons of illness. Naomi and her family moved to a foreign country to escape a famine, only to have tragedy knocked down their door as first the husband, then each of the, as each of the husbands die one after the other. Very easy, we could be faced with such calamity. Boy, my, my, my speaking is just gone today. Sorry about that. Yes, I tell you, it is that case. But you and I need to remember that even in our own community, there may be those that are struggling. And we need to have a tender heart towards those. They say, well, there's always going to be the poor, so there's nothing that we can do. It's is not the biblical answer for us. Ruth reminds us of that. And then fourthly, it teaches us about our true Redeemer. Boaz is going to be the Redeemer in this story. And it's going to be pointing to David. It's going to be pointing to Christ. You and I need to read Ruth and learn Ruth because it shows us a picture of the redemption and adoption that you and I have in Christ. Ruth picks up the story of redemption that began there in the Pentateuch. God is at work reconciling man back to himself, to, uh, to himself. The story of the Bible, very simply, the prince slays the dragon and wins the girl. We're now working on how we are getting that prince. We're also seeing uh, 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 how the girl is going to be one in which she's a picture of the church. In this short book, the Holy Spirit reveals that God has not forgotten his people nor his promises, even... When they have forgotten Him. That's where I want to encourage you today. My concern is that some of you have forgotten God's promises. And God's faithfulness is to you, but yet your faithfulness has waned. I want to encourage you. We need to pursue Christ, it teaches us about the Redeemer. It points to the one that we need. It will be through this young pagan woman that the anointing one of Yahweh will come, the Messiah, the Christ. The prophet Micah declares, O Bethlehem, you who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Like the 12 tribes and judges, we live in a broken world. We see it all around us. There's no escaping the fact that injustice, racism, prejudice, class warfare, violence, etc. you can go on and continue the names are rampant. There is no shortage of political, cultural, religious messiahs who will come proclaiming that they alone have the truth, the answers, and then they demand that we bow down and we follow them. In their wake, they litter the landscape with broken promises, bitterness, resentment, frustration, and anger. We're about to experience that as we come again into the political election uh, cycle for next year. Already promises being made, people being angry, being frustrated, division more and more coming uh, uh, about. Eventually, this leads to the populace to feelings of hopelessness, looking for another savior, to lead them to their self-designed promised lands. In other words, we want to describe, we want to define what it is to have the blessings of God. However, because our hearts seek to do what's right in our own eyes, we wind up with this type of mess. All Israel needed to do was obey God and to please him. However, Judges demonstrates that even with the word of God and a special covenant, people are prone to chase after their own satisfaction. As you and I begin this series, I'm going to ask you to examine your heart. In what ways are you seeking your own satisfaction? In your marriage, with your children, with your work, investments, retirement. The way you spend your time, the way you spend your money. In what ways are you doing what's right in your own eyes? Many of us, we wonder, why are we in these circumstances? Why is my life in such a mess? It's typically because we're looking for something different than what Christ has to offer We are quick to shed God when it suits our needs, only to cry out to him when we're faced with the consequences of our decisions. So as we read Ruth, we'll see God's providential hand that many times causes difficulty in our lives. But yet we'll also see the consequences of our own sinful choices. But in all that, we still see a faithful God who sends that shining light It says, follow me. Like God's people centuries ago, we also need a king to mediate God's kingdom. Just as children need parents in the home, right? Who's going to raise them up in the the fear of the Lord. We need a savior to mediate God's kingdom. We need leaders to right that which went so horribly wrong. We need a king who will judge and rule and defend God's chosen people in righteousness and proclaim peace to all the nations. James Smith in his book, The Glories of Christ, I have it here on the monitor, writes that he, speaking of Jesus, is a king who receives the returning rebel and grants a pardon. He rules over his people by his love and his law and defends all who trust him from the danger and death. He rules over mankind and in the believer. and is king of kings and lord of lords. And as a king, he saves from dangers and foes. Ruth is going to open us back up, get us back on track as we continue in the story of the Bible. You see, Jesus Christ is the king who came to put all of his enemies under his feet and to shepherd God's people. We must join with the angels and all the saints before us singing glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those whom he is pleased. Colossians 3.15, I'm going to close with this. This is a short one this morning. See it here on the monitor. The Bible says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body, and be thankful. As we read through, just keep that up there just for a little bit, friend. As we go through Ruth, this verse was definitely something that Naomi and Ruth needed. We need to understand that no matter what's going on in life, we need to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. As we also live in the times of judges, we need to recognize that we as a church, we have that light. He's called us to be that type of light, to be that type of salt. Our response to this, the fact that there is a Redeemer, is to surrender to Christ and allow Christ to reign in our hearts, to let nothing else on the throne. We always have to fight that fight. John Calvin said that our hearts is an idol-making factory. You pull one down, another one pops up. Our response to the King of Kings is to obey him and his word When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven, we are asking Christ to rule and to reign in each situation. So I call you this morning as we continue this study over the next seven weeks, may Ruth help us to learn how to do so no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the consequences is, that we boldly obey God's word, confidently trusting in the person of God. Amen? Their head bowed, their head closed. Before we go to communion, I just want to ask Randy to go ahead and come up. And I want you to take it in a moment just to pause and consider. I know this was a quicker message than normal, a little bit different one as we just open up and we're looking at Ruth at 30,000 feet. We need to understand that this little book is not just for women, not for ladies, but it's profitable for us that we may come to know Christ to look to Christ as we recognize that we have a great Redeemer who comes and saves us from life. May you look to Him. Manny, would you come and pray for us? We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.